Sports Yak. One host knows sports. And who's right there? The other doesn't know sports, but somehow they meet in the middle. Corey Mann. Get your big butt out of here. And Indiana Sports Broadcast Hall of Famer. This one will be relived. Chuck Freebie. Forever. Do you like sports? Because we like sports. Let's talk about sports. It's Sports Yak. Sports Yak. It's Sports Yak. The show that brings you in where the magic happens. Welcome to the Writer's Room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And today I'm joined by Sif Pop writer Austin. Hello. Hey, how are you doing today, Austin? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm having a pretty good day. I'm just excited uh, to get the show going and uh, it's really, really great to have you on. So, appreciate that. Well, thank you. We write Sip for Sip Pop, providing you with movie reviews, best ever challenges, and other interesting movie-related articles, so make sure you check out the website, SipPop.com, to keep up with those. We have a great show for you this week. We're going to start here on the pitch, which is now. That's great. We're on schedule so far. Can't promise too much after that, as always. And then we're going to move on to the coming attractions, where we'll give our thoughts on what's coming out soon. And then we'll move on to the Sip topic this week, where we'll be talking about Nola's filmography, which we'll also talk about Tenet during the coming attractions. So... Seems pretty uh, pretty timely to talk about some Chris Nolan up in here. Uh, and then we're going to explore the B-plot, answering a question uh, that Austin and I came up with together in light of some of the coronavirus stuff going on. And we're going to wrap up with a spinoff, a uh, quick recommend from each of us. So let's get a chance to know our writer for this week first. So Austin, when did you realize that you had a passion for movies? Well, I think it was about in 2014. You know, I'd always grown up with movies. Uh, my dad used to take us to Blockbuster, or if we saw like an advertisement in the Kansas City Star for like a movie that was coming out that weekend, we'd be like, oh, that. So movies have kind of always been present in my life. But uh, unfortunately, when uh, my dad died in 2014, that kind of brought movies back into my life once I no longer had that movie buddy. And I was like, oh, hey, I need to wait a way to celebrate my dad. And that's kind of my way. You know, it's that was always our thing. So that 2014 award season was just like, okay, here's all the movies you would love. Let's go watch them. Let's go see them. And surprisingly enough, that's why I love Guardians of the Galaxy so much today. I think you'd really love that movie. Didn't read the show notes of that before. I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, no worries. It's been a while. Yeah. Well, and it, it also seems uh, seems like you've done something really cool with that, too. Made it meaningful. So, yeah. Cool story. When did you get involved in writing for Sif Pop? Well, I had been um, listening to Sif Pop and all the Studio DNA podcasts since, I think, 2017. I want to say September 2017. And I'd just been listening and listening. And about 2019, I realized, hey... Blake's doing this great thing with Sifop. He's bringing on a really cool writers like Frank, you, uh, Ben Davis, uh, just all these rock star people. And I was like, you know what? I need to flex my movie muscle. I never really written about movies before Sifop. And Aaron and Blake really gave me that chance to just be like, okay, talk about some of your favorite movies. Go. And I would recommend it to anyone listening. You know, um, if you're listening to this and you're like, hey. That sounds really cool, writing about the movies you love. Just let us know. 
Yeah, that's that's a good, a good point to bring this up to. I always give a sh- shout out at the end of the show to say if you're interested in writing for Civ Pop, then please contact us. But writing for Civ Pop does not mean uh, that there's a ton expected for you either. Uh, it's a short five to ten sentence thing per week that you can always opt out of if you're busy. Simply talk about a movie that fits into this category that you love. And it's not like, hey, watch a new movie and talk about it. It's, you can right. choose to do that if you want to do it. But it's really it, it's not a huge commitment. And it's there's not necessarily any like you need to be a certain level writing style because I mean this is a community and communities full of all kinds of people so um, yeah definitely want to just throw that out there too so if you're if you've been thinking about it yeah maybe now's just a great time to to reach out to one of us and to get in contact about writing for Civ Pop but yeah it's cool it's been lo- I've been loving reading reading some of your stuff on the on the site thank you because uh, I love reading everybody's stuff on the site oh me too man yeah so it's it's always uh, one of my favorite part of the weeks of Fridays when the BECs launch so cool I got one more question for you before we move on it's a little bit of a random question okay but do you play any musical instruments uh I do off and on I'm not very good at it I can only do some very basic chords but uh I play the electric guitar and uh, sometimes, nice. uh, sometimes the harmonica, uh, it's really nice outside. I don't know how to play okay. it, but I try. Does anybody really know how to play harmonica? I don't think so. I don't. Not anymore, at least. It's impossible. Not unless you go to Silver <laughs> City. <laughs> yeah, I, I've dabbled a little bit in electric guitar, probably about as much as you have. Um, I don't know any chords because I don't have the patience to learn them, but I've picked up a couple riffs. I can read guitar tabs, so I've, I've learned some of that stuff. I'm primarily I'm a drummer. I play a lot along to uh, punk and metal music. I've been oh, nice. I've been doing drums for uh, about ten years. Any uh, drum kits? I do have. I used to have two, but one of them I donated because it was one of those that like my parents got for me for like a hundred dollars when I was like thirteen. And mm-hmm. it very, it sounded like a hundred dollar drum set, so I wound up donating it. <laughs> I know the feeling. To like to like a practice room at the at the university that I went to. But I do. I have a uh, Orange County drum and percussion kit, which I actually talked about. It's the same drum kit from the movie Whiplash in the studio. I need to see that movie. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, hey, we're gonna move on to our coming attraction segment. But before we do, we gotta leave a note of disclaimer. So Austin and I actually recorded a podcast on Tenet, and we talked a little bit last week during the Mulan episode about us kind of not wanting to conform to a schedule if things are only going to get pushed back a couple of weeks. And since this was originally the first pushback date of Tenet before it was pushed back to August 12th, it was initially pushed back to July 31st uh, before it got pushed back to August 12th. And then now it's just been pulled from the release calendar. So since it's pulled from the release calendar, uh, we're not actually going to give you the Tenet coming attraction this episode. Yeah, I said that we're going to talk about that in the intro, but Things have changed since we recorded this episode. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a different movie coming out. But what I'm, I'm still going to edit and rec- and release the Tenet coming attraction as a bonus episode. That's going to be in your feed this Saturday. So if you're still interested in hearing Austin and mine's thoughts on Tenet, and of course, we'll still I'll, I'll revisit Tenet as we get closer to its actual release after this COVID pandemic. So you are still going to get 10. It's just going to be in a separate feed coming on Saturday. Right now, we're going to talk about a movie called She Dies Tomorrow. Now, She Dies Tomorrow is a movie coming out in drive-in theaters on July 31st and to VOD on August 7th. 
So that's your access to how you can check out this movie. This was uh, premiered at South by Southwest. The plot synopsis for this movie is Amy thinks she's dying tomorrow and it's contagious. Also, what do you think about that synopsis? I think the less we know about this plot, the better. I think we're going to end up with a new type of happy death day kind of thing, but it's more in the drama category than uh, the comedy. And also it looks to be, well, I mean, the title seems very ominous and also the the trippy poster is really looking really good for me. Um, I'm always in for a psychological thriller. Count me in. Yeah. To be clear, this doesn't look like a time loop movie. No, it, um, it just looks like one of those things where only she knows something's going on. I mean, it could be a time loop movie. We're just seeing it from everybody else's perspective, which I think would be really interesting. That would be cool. But anyway, so that's uh, that's She Dies Tomorrow. But based off of everything you've seen about this movie, cast, directing, acting, trailers, whatever, what, what's your anticipation level for this movie? Do you think, uh, pandemic aside, that you would see this uh, opening weekend, catch it in a matinee, rent it, or wait for it on a streaming service you already own, or just never watch this movie? I think I would go Thursday at 7 p.m., opening night. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because um, I'm just really into, I mean, if, as anyone who has read my Sif Pop or even my Austin B. Media stuff uh, would attest to, I'm really into psychological movies that really ask the question of what is special about this person's psyche that we haven't seen before. And I think, you know, stuff like Palm Springs... I, I've been eaten lately, as the kids say. Um, I've been getting a lot of psychological movies under my belt recently, and I just love to see more. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i going to have a different rating than you. I'm going to say probably I would wait till this is on a streaming platform that I already pay for. So I'd wait till this is on like Hulu or HBO Max or something like that. It'll probably come to Hulu. It's neon. Probably. So the reason why I picked that is I think this movie looks mildly interesting. Uh, I'm still interested in interested in seeing it at some point, presuming that it's not blown to smithereens by by critics and and you know fellow hip hop writers and all that. I just I'm not really a horror person, and this doesn't really look like a horror movie, but it definitely looks like it has those elements to it. I'm not typically a fan of. I mean, you said this is made by Neon, but I mean the aesthetic for this movie is very Neon, and I'm not typically a fan of movies like that. I am a big fan of psychological thrillers. I think uh, movies like Zodiac and Seven and I mean, essentially Fincher stuff um, and stuff in that vein are some of my favorite movies. There's not enough here for me to say, yeah, I'm excited about seeing this. I I think there's some pros to this movie, certainly. I mean, it's premiered South by Southwest. That's generally a a pro. Uh, Anytime the movies premiere at at these film festivals, it means they're actually a movie worth seeing. Mm -hmm. The, the writer-director, I don't know her, but she seems to be relatively popular, at least. Uh, she created and wrote most episodes and directed quite a few of The Girlfriend Experience, which I never saw. The main thing I'm really looking forward to here is Caitlin Scheel. I think this is going to be her uh, midsummer, if you will. She's going to be given, I think, a lot to do. Sure. Yeah. And it looks like she was nominated for an award at South by Southwest in contention for one of the best performances. There's some other cast members that I'm excited about. I don't I don't recognize most of these people, but there are four names that I recognize and generally I really like. Uh, So we'll start at the bottom of me liking them. Um, There's Michelle Rodriguez here, Mm -hmm. 
who is mostly known for the Fast and Furious franchise. I think she's okay. I don't I don't know if there's anything super great about her, but I recognize her and I don't think she's a bad actress, so that's good. And then there's Josh Lucas, who I really like Josh Lucas. Uh, I'm a little bit worried that he's been typecast, but I, I mean, he's terrific in like Glory Road. He's also good in Ford v. Ferrari. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's two other people. There's a Chris Messina, who I just recently knew from. Uh, he plays Reese Lansing on Newsroom. Mm-hmm. And he, pl- he has a role in Argo as well. So he's uh, he's a face I recognized. And then I also love uh, Kate As- Katie Asselton is in this movie. She plays, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but she plays one of the main character's wives on the TV show The League, okay. which is one of my favorite comedies of all time. So relatively promising cast. The director, I, I, I've not seen The Girlfriend Experience, but I've heard good things about it. Yeah, it's written and directed by the same person, also a female. So female perspectives in movies, I think is great. Mm-hmm. I, I'm excited that they're going with the smart route by releasing this on VOD and drive-ins as opposed to trying to be Christopher Nolan and release a movie when it's just not safe to trying but, to be the bastion of uh, movie theater experience yeah yeah i mean other than that i i think the trailer is very vague i think the plot synopsis is very vague which i i'm really all for i think that's a great marketing strategy mm-hmm. especially for a movie like this i'm excited that i don't know a lot about it but at the same time there's just not enough to get me to pay especially if it's a vod we're talking presumably this is going to be like a 1999 rental yeah. for a while i am I've definitely not. First of all, it's going to take a movie like Tenet to get me pay to pay nineteen ninety nine for a forty eight hour rental. But I don't even know that I would pay rent this if it would, if it wound up being like a six ninety nine rental. I, like I said, I think I just wait till it came on Hulu or something. If you like, I think the best descriptor of this movie is I think the twenty sixteen Blair Witch meets the Killing of Sacred Deer from twenty seventeen, where it's you don't know anything about it. And that's the point, I think. Right. Because there will be like, a th- I think there will be some kind of third act thing where we get into the movie theater and something is flipped. And it's just like, oh, that's what this is about. I, I think this is going to make some money. But especially if this is like a, a $9.99 rental, I think you're talking, it would make, it would definitely get quite a more rentals in, especially oh, yeah. because the casual person that's just wanting a new movie is going to do really well anyway i'm excited about it but we're at this point we're not really talking about the um uh she dies tomorrow yeah. anymore so do you, do you have any other thoughts to say about this movie i just i you know if I, I just i wouldn't go see this in a theater i'm definitely not paying to rent it but yeah i mean if yeah. it's on hulu and especially if it's got good reviews i'd check it out yeah i think the pricing is everything if somebody is browsing voodoo fandango now itunes whatever whatever they use i think if they see twenty dollars and it's just something they're vaguely interested in they're probably not gonna they're probably just gonna pass it up and wait for it to come to streaming right. like you well what, what about you personally what is your rental what is what is the price that you would pay to rent for this movie like what is the max price you would pay specifically for this movie not just for any movie in general probably 10. That, that's okay. a nice halfway point. All right, so ten dollars or less, you're gonna check it out, and I'm gonna wait until it hits Hulu. So, all right. Well, that being said, uh, we're just gonna move straight into the SIF topic, and we're gonna talk about Nolan's filmography. And like I said, you will get that tennis bonus bonus episode in your feed this Movies. Saturday. Uh, now, first of all, I do want to give you a spoiler warning because we're not gonna worry about not spoiling these movies. That is, unless we have the discretion to. Um, there are certain of these movies that I think are going to work better if we don't want to ruin an experience for you, especially with some of the smaller known movies. Like I don't 
necessarily want to ruin something for you, but we aren't really going to worry about spoilers. Most of these have been out for a while now, and Nolan's such a popular director that if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you've seen most of his movies. So we're not going to worry about spoilers. There's your warning. <laughs> if you really care, just pause or skip when you get to whatever movie. Uh, the other thing is we there are a lot of movies on this list. Uh, I mean, it's not like a super, super, super big list, but it is big enough. That for the sake of time, we're going to be cautious. So I'm going to give us six minutes and 15 seconds per movie on my timer. And at the end of the timer, this is going to go off. And when that timer goes off, then that means that we have to finish wrapping up whatever thought we had and move forward. The discussion is over for the sake of moving forward with time. With that in mind, we're going to go ahead and just dig right into it. We're going to give a synopsis. And then we're going to give a rating for it. And then we're just going to talk about it. And then at 6.15, we got to move on. Here we go. Starting the timer now. First up is Following. Following is a 1998 movie written and directed by Christopher Nolan, of course. You can find it streaming on IFC Films Unlimited. Uh, that's the only place you can find it streaming. It's also available. It has a Criterion Collection release. That's how I watched it. Same. But the plot synopsis of this is a young writer who follows strangers for material meets a thief who takes him under his wing. Austin, what did you think about following? Did you like this movie, love it, hate it, dislike it, or it's just okay? I liked it uh, for just being a smaller Nolan piece. There's something kind of cool about this. It's almost like a French neo-noir movie. It doesn't feel very British like other Nolan movies do because it's just Christopher Nolan following, pun very much intended. (laughs) Just this writer who just is on the lamb who might even be a stand-in for Christopher Nolan himself, kind of walking and going about life in a very interesting way. I mean, I, I like it. There are things that I think could be better about it. It clues you in on that reveal, and it happens way too early in the film, I believe. And sure. even though it's a 70-minute movie, you're like, okay, this could have ended like 20 minutes ago. Yep. And there's some logic things, like he meets this guy, that he's been following for weeks and he just trusts him instantly to start doing this life of crime that he doesn't even know anything about. He doesn't know this guy. Why does he trust that, this guy? Uh, uh, that's my main thing. Yeah, there's definitely, I, I resonate with a lot of those thoughts. Uh, I, I'm also in the liked it category. Uh, I don't love this movie, but I think, uh, I think it's enough for me to say on the low side, I liked it. I think, that there is moments in here where you can tell that Christopher Nolan's really about to do something magical with his career. Like there's moments that really look forward to what his filmography is going to look like. Uh, you can definitely look at this film and be like, oh, this guy's going places. Yeah, there's this shot where um, Jeremy Theobald's character is coming up to a bathroom and this lady just looks into a mirror at him. And it's just one of the most perfect shots of that movie. Yeah, for sure. Christopher Nolan also did the camera work on this movie entirely himself. Um, that also comes through in showing he's very hands-on with the camera angles, the camera shots, the specific specific that he wants for this movie. And so um, this movie does a good job of showing that. He also wrote it, directed it. Now, I'm really interested uh, in watching this movie more because I agree with you. I think that there's some of the – Christopher Nolan did all the editing himself as well. Maybe this movie could have been edited like a little bit better with letting you in on some of the things. I also think that, yeah, this movie is 70 minutes, but it does feel a little bit longer than that. It does feel like a full-length feature film, and I wish they would have made this like a 40-minute movie or like a 30-minute movie, something to truly be like a longer version of a short film. 
I think that might have played off a little better because I don't know, or just add a little bit more stuff that's going on, a little bit more intrigue to make this a hour and a half or hour forty five minute movie. I just, I think as it currently stands, it's it's either too much or not enough, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of in that limbo area. I think I would have preferred if this was like a thirty or forty minute movie, but I am really interested. the The Criterion Collection release has a lot of interesting things about it mm-hmm. and i'm really interested did you did you buy the criterion for this or did you catch it some other way i streamed it on the criterion channel okay via their app it was the only one that i can buy and i checked out the uh linear edit of this movie okay which is a, a lot more interesting i think Th- that's what i was going to say they have a complete chronologically edit of this movie and i'm i'm really interested in checking that out and I'm also really interested in, uh, like, the Criterion Collection is very notable for doing this kind of stuff. And Christopher Nolan oversaw the, the transfer of this. I'm just, I'm really interested in checking out a lot of them. I don't have Criterion Channel, so I I went ahead and bought the Blu-ray. And I think I'll, I'll revisit it at some point. So I definitely want to check out some of those special features. So, uh, especially it has Christopher Nolan's short Doodlebug on it, which I think is mm-hmm. amazing for a four-minute short. Uh, just another perk. A lot of great green screen in Doodlebug, actually. Um, yeah. You don't notice a lot of feathering that exists even in um, color green screen. Yeah. And uh, speaking of color, what did you think about the choice to do this in black and white? I think you're right. It kind of helped it feel a little bit more like a, like a noir, but I also think it was primarily a budget standpoint. Christopher Nolan wound up making this movie for like $2,000 total. I think probably that was the choice that was made. But I, I appreciate the aesthetic, the kind of noir vibe that it brought. I don't think it was necessary. It feels like a 50s film, like almost like a classic film, but you know it's more recent, so it kind of tricks your brain. Which is really interesting for somebody to do for their like introduction to film. All right, well, that's going to be our time on following. Man, it's going to be really hard for some of these other ones that are going to have a lot more to talk about. So we're going to move on to Memento, so starting the timer now. Memento is a 2000 movie streaming on IMDb TV with ads and the Roku channel with ads. And the synopsis for this movie is a man with short-term memory loss attempts to track down his wife's murderer and you know that's a pretty interesting synopsis for it i i don't i don't think it quite grasps everything because if you know anything about this movie you know that it's told entirely backwards Mm -hmm. in its storytelling like it's not the film itself is reversed it's just editing wise they start you at the end and they take you all the way to the beginning chronologically but narratively it's backwards and so it's just a really interesting thing to do with that i'm gonna say i really like this movie i'm i'm kind of bordering between really liked and low side of love yeah so i'm at like eight out of ten for me what about you where you at you know i initially said like it but you know i keep thinking about it i've watched i watched this like two or three days ago for the first time actually oh wow but yeah i watched a lot of these for the first time including following and most of the others up until batman begins you're welcome (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it was is a very interesting study. But I really, I think I'm gonna move to really like it because I just there's so much integral detail that uh, no one later uses in Batman Begins with mental health, yep. making fun of those people in a certain scene actually with uh, Natalie. That yep. that was a especially a hard scene to watch. But man, I just I just can't stop thinking about this movie. And it's been two or three days. The main thing I like about it is it really displays the mental structure of what it's like to forget somebody. Yeah. He wakes up and the I don't know if you noticed this, but when he wakes up, it's black and white, all handheld camera. But then when he starts to orient himself, 
it slowly shifts to color, and then it's all steady camera work. Yeah. And it, it, that's fascinating. It's really fascinating. And also, like, definitely there are moments that this feels like an episode of CSI because CSI does the exact same narrative structure of we're going to show you a black and white still of the end of oh, yeah. when, before we break to commercial, but then we're going to show you how we get there. And Memento does the same thing. We're going to uh, – they do, they do like, splice in, like, him chronologically kind of before all this happens of him kind of trying to put the pieces together. But – they, they kind of show you the ending of a scene and they kind of want to bring you to, all right, how did we get here? And some of it works really well and some of it is really interesting to see how other people interact with him. But the thing to me that makes this movie stand out as really good, as not just another movie, I mean, aside from, aside from the really creative editing and the really creative way to do that movie uh, and, and the plot twists, is the subplot. Because I, I think sometimes this really winds up hurting a movie. But uh, Super 8 is a great example for that because I think Super 8 is an okay movie. I would say probably I like Super 8. But I don't really care about anything going on with the aliens. I care so much about what's going on with the community. And to me, that's why Super 8 didn't work as a movie for me as well as I wanted it to. And so I think Memento almost gets lost in that with the, with the story that he keeps telling about the about the man who has to give his wife the insulin shots. And, and it, it works out in a way that is just so satisfying. It's, it's my favorite part about this movie by far. It's just so interesting. It's so intriguing. And I, I just, I love that. And any movie I can get Steven Toblowski in, you know, I'm there. I am so there. What do you think about the other performances? Notably, Joey Pants took me out of the movie quite a lot. Because okay. I kind of associate him with bad boys. So I'm just kind of humming bad boys in my uh, head the whole movie anytime he shows up. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's not this guy. This is an entirely different guy who's maybe not on the up and up. Yeah. And it's just so fascinating to see him play not that character. And Carrie Ann Moss, I think she's getting given a lot to do with barely any screen time. There's this moment where she's just sitting in a car and she's looking at Leonard, just waiting. And then she just re-enters, and it's like nothing ever happened. But she knows that she just played him. Right. Well, and what's interesting about both those two actors is this is a year after Matrix. So, and granted, yeah. Matrix probably spent a lot more time in post-production, but both of them were in Matrix, and one of them moves on to Matrix Reloaded. What a time! To, like she's got to be peak of her career right now, and especially this movie doesn't look like it had a very high budget. I didn't hear about it Nine until million. like I was eighteen or so, which would have been. Like 2013, I didn't hear about it until a lot later. Yeah, I don't think I heard about this till I was in high school either. I think maybe when CinemaSense started doing things is when I first started hearing it. I would recommend anyone's got that twist spoiled for them, still watch it. It's still a good watch. I mean, this is a fantastic movie. All right, well, we heard the time to go off, so it means it's time to move on to our next movie. We're going to Insomnia. Insomnia is a 2002 movie. You can find it streaming on HBO Max if you're interested. So this is the oddball for the Christopher Nolan filmography because he didn't write this movie. He only directed it. No. And it's also interesting because it's a remake of a foreign film, I believe, from Sweden. Uh, yeah, and... 1997. Okay. I have not seen the original. but So this is a remake, and yes, Memento is a remake of a short film, that he, but he and his brother also did that short film. So this is kind of the oddball because it's based off of another movie, as well as Nolan didn't write this movie. So the synopsis here is two LA homicide detectives are dispatched 
to a northern town in Alaska where the sun doesn't set to investigate the methodical murder of a local teen. And that's kind of what this movie's about, but it's really about a lot more. And, I mean, it's because there's a spoiler about halfway through the movie that the mov- this is why the movie is, is really different is because what happens is Al Pacino is our main character. He winds up accidentally killing his partner and he's trying to cover it up the, the rest of the time while also trying to catch the killer of this team. And it's a really interesting psychological thriller. I, I like this movie. I think, there's a lo- I, I, like, I think there's a lot good to it, but I don't think there's anything super special about it. So I'm, I'm right there and liked it, not, not loved it. And I think there's enough to say like instead of just okay for me. So what do you think? I think this is the only new- Nolan movie that is just okay for me because it just felt like Steven Soderbergh, who produces it, just really didn't want to direct this movie. And Nolan was like, here, I'll take it. I've got a movie I have to make for WB. So I, I, it doesn't feel very inspired to me. Uh, there are some story choices, especially around Al Pacino's character, that just don't make sense when you're watching it, even if you watch it for a second, third time. Like, there's this thing where he shoots a dead dog in an alley and i'm just like what does that have to do with anything he needed to do that to get the bullet uh-uh. so he shoots the dead dog to grab the bullet and then swap it out with the bullet that he shot his partner with okay that, okay that now that makes sense because i'm just like okay he shoots a dog and then he's carving it out with like a pen and i'm just like all right right yeah like i said i think there's enough for me to say i like this movie but like i think i think you're right it feels very i mean uninspired is a pretty okay word yeah. for that uh, you're right it feels like soderbergh was interested in making this movie but didn't have the time or something and nolan probably a really big fan of the original and was like yeah okay i'll do my best and i don't have to write it and so it gives me time to to write other things i mean at this point he's writing the inception script right about the time this released because it oh, yeah. spent eight years writing it. So he probably just started writing that and you know, buy him some time and get him a nice paycheck and earn him some street cred. And I think anybody else makes this movie and it's probably just okay. And it's very forgettable. And I mean, frankly, this movie is fairly forgettable, but the story is executed really well. I wish Nolan would have also written it because I think he could have added maybe another layer to it. Uh, Robin Williams plays our villain. So good. He's terrific. Uh, a lot of a lot of him is deadpan, um, and frankly, I'm not a huge fan of Pacino, but this is one of his better performances to me. Acting seems pretty solid, yeah. and uh, there's some really interesting psychological tension that happens, and also just constant character revelations that that I think make this worth my attention. It maybe feels a little bit too long, and the only other thing I really have to say about this is it really wants to play the morality game. Yeah, it really wants to be a movie that makes you question your morals like gone baby gone or something like that but it just it only introduces these concepts it doesn't really follow through with them it doesn't really take time to invest in them and so it just doesn't really work um so uh, this feels like nolan just trying out several different things and for the most part not super succeeding in them yeah i think this is where he really got to play you know um i think this is where he coming off of memento he's even furthering his depth into the mind you know so that in time for batman begins you can really just dive right into the psyche of somebody and yeah who better than robin williams the guy who's supposed to be funny i mean at this point he had been genie like a few years before this and everyone thought oh hey this is the funny guy and then this year comes you get this in one hour photo and he owns this role just 
Robin Williams oh, had shit. shown at this point, Robert and I talked about this last week, he had shown dramatic chops because by this time, Goodwill Hunting and Dead Poets Society and Good Morning Vietnam had all come out. But oh, yeah. you're right, we haven't seen that psychopathic side of him yet, that one-hour photo insomnia kind of vibe. And uh, it, wor- it worked really well. I see you having your notes here. You said you could take or leave Pacino. I, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I think this is one of his better performances, but I also don't know that this was a role written for him. No, I don't think it was either because, I mean, he just comes to this movie just, as somebody said, pre-exhausted. It's yeah. just he's not doing anything in this movie other than just being like, huh, what, huh? I could I could really like to see Liam Neeson in this role. Yeah, that that would be actually a really good replacement. Because you, you like you you need a little bit more of a of a somebody that has experience behind him, but also can still play that gruff. And I think Liam Neeson could have played this really well. Yeah, very well actually. Cool. Well, hey, that's a pretty good timer yeah. for that. Pretty good finishing on top. Uh, so now we get to Batman Begins, finally. So Batman Begins 2005 movie streaming on Hulu. And the plot for this is, after training with his mentor, Batman begins his fight to free crime-ridden Gotham City from corruption. This one is uh, a really interesting movie. I'm going to go ahead and say I love this movie. Okay. And I'm not ashamed of it. So what do you think? I like this movie. It is just, okay. the only reason I like it and don't love it is because it's, filled with superhero stuff from the early 2000s. Like, why isn't he doing this? Well, because we need to have an action scene right here. I think that would be so much more interesting because we are getting a depth of who Bruce Wayne is in this movie, even before Dark Knight, that we just, I think we could have gone more in depth with who, why doesn't Raish just tell, or Ducard, just tell him, hey, I'm Raish al Ghul. And then he doesn't have to destroy Gotham with uh, Jonathan Crane or the mob. He can just go straight to Bruce Wayne and say, hey, I need your microwave mentor. Okay, done. And then you don't have to do any of this. I mean, maybe. Or at least I think that's what they were implying when Crane was talking about when he comes and all that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely get it. I just don't know that. Wayne would have willingly give it up. I don't. Th- I don't even think Bruce Wayne is aware it exists until it's already stolen. You know, because that seems to be something that the uh, the the CEO of Wayne Enterprises has has been working on while Bruce Wayne was away. Yeah, because even he was like, "Wait, what? What is this microwave emitter? Delete all the files and everything." Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I I really like this movie, and the reason why I love this movie is is because th- this is the first time that. Batman feels like a theme as opposed mm-hmm. to a person in this movie. And Nolan has talked about how each of these movies has a theme. And this one is fear. And then the Dark Knight's chaos. And Dark Knight Rises is pain. Mm-hmm. And this movie really feels like fear in a movie. And I thought it was so, so interesting to finally see this. I mean, we've seen the death of Bruce Wayne's, Bruce Wayne's parents several times. But this is the first time we've actually gotten to know Thomas Wayne as an actual character. Instead of just killed off on the opening sequence for Tim Burton's Batman and the the flashback in Batman Forever. And I, I don't even know how much Thomas Wayne is mentioned in the Adam West Batman series. So, I mean, I feel like Thomas Wayne is actually a character here, and I really appreciated that, and I feel like we get to... I, I mean, I love the themes in this movie. It's very obvious that, the you know, what is justice, and there's also themes of learning from your mistakes. You know, why do we fall to get back up again? But um, this is... I love that line. It's it's amazing for me, and but and it also demonstrates this is the first time we've really seen Batman fail. I mean, and Nolan does this throughout the whole trilogy, mm-hmm. but this is really evident here 
it's really in your face when Bane breaks Batman. But uh, but to see yeah. to see Bruce Wayne fail as well, to see him be a character that we don't necessarily want to root for until he becomes Batman, because he's he goes to the courthouse to kill Joe Chill and Michael Keaton might be my favorite Bruce Wayne, but he's not given much to do as Bruce Wayne. I mean, he gets a lot of screen time, but he's not given much to do. Whereas Christian Bale is really good when he's Bruce Wayne. And like the scene of him where he buys the hotel is just iconic for me. Yeah. It really displays that when, what Rachel says at the end of the movie, actually no, in dark Knight, where Bruce Wayne is the mask, not Batman. No, the Kitty Holmes says that at the beginning of Bat- at the end of Batman Begins. Okay, so, but yeah, I Bruce Wayne also feels like a real character in the movie. So I mentioned Thomas Wayne feeling that like, Bruce Wayne also feels like a real character. And the biggest reason why I realized I love this movie is because the scenes with Batman are presented like a horror movie. A lot mm-hmm. of it is because you see it from the villain's perspective. But dang, like this movie is is presented in a way that feels very real to me because if there is this Batman, if he's motivating people, by, if he's motivated by fear, then it makes so much sense to do it this way and to, it, it terrifies me and it, it builds so much suspense and, and Batman in a way of I've never seen him before. There's really nothing about this movie that I don't just love. I get maybe some people's critiques with it. I get, uh, you know, it's another origin story. We've seen this before, but he also does something really new. I mean, before this, we hadn't seen the League of Shadows on film. So I'm totally here for this movie. I think it's a masterpiece. And I know that a general consensus on Twitter is coming around that people are saying that this one is better than The Dark Knight, or it's at least on par. And I can't pick between the two. They're right on their same level for me, which should say how much I love Batman Begins. Yeah, and I think going into that fear aspect you were talking about with this is the first time we fear Batman, Hans Zimmer's score, you know, when we first see Batman at the docks, we really get like a screeching sound when he first shows up. Yeah. All right, well, you know what that means? It is time to move on to The Prestige. And here we go. The Prestige is a 2006 movie. I can't find it streaming anywhere. You can correct me if I'm wrong about that, Austin. Uh, no, I had to buy it. Okay. And after the story is that after a tragic accident, two stage magicians engaged in a battle to create the ultimate illusion while sacrificing everything they have to outwit each other. So what do you think this movie is? Do you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or it's just okay? I think I... I think I'm on really liked it. Okay. There's some stuff I could take or leave, like the journal narration. Um, that what well, didn't work for me, but just the cast is at their absolute best. Even the ones that you don't see as often, like Scarlett Johansson and Rebecca Hall, mm-hmm. they're just set, like subtly undercutting each other at every single moment. And I think this is one of the best Hugh Jackman performances I've seen. I agree. Just that moment in the mausoleum where he's just like. How do you not know which not? How do you not know? Right. And how it just drives him into this chaos, just this spiral where he's willing to do anything and everything to just undercut uh, Borden. Yeah, and I'd also add uh, people that don't get a lot of screen time but are really amazing. Uh, David Bowie is particularly great. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think Christian Bale is, is doing some incredible work in this movie. Uh, and also we can't you know, not mention Michael Caine because he's terrific. Yeah. I'm definitely on the loved it side of this category. I, I really think this movie is special. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to look away from, even for just a minute. It really is. And you mentioned the journal narration not working so well. I'm really interested. Um, this is also another interesting Nolan kind of unique one because this is 
based off of a book. Nolan's not done that other than The Prestige. And the reason why I think the journal narrations are so important is because the book is presented, it's not like an author in a first person. It, the book is the book and the story is presented through these journal entries. So it's just, you get to see the journals from each of the magicians. So I think it's important to have those in there, if not just to pay homage to the book. But also I think yeah. it, it brings us into our thoughts. What is the character thinking? Why is he choosing to do this? What are we supposed to be thinking about the other magician? And I, I really want to read this book now as well. But I think it'd be hard to argue that this is Christopher Nolan's best made movie. I think a lot of people have come to that consensus. And I, I think it's hard to argue because people that have seen it, like really love it. And people that haven't seen it don't know about it because I don't know how this flew under the radar. I mean, 2006, but Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale and Scarlett Johansson, mm-hmm. Michael Kate, like A-list actors together and Christopher Nolan, the guy that just did Batman. Like I have no idea how I, I, I didn't hear about this movie until five or six years after it came out and man it's incredible yeah and the only uh thing i'll have to add to that is what did you think about the ending i think this might be the best final act to a movie ever like last final third you know you're probably not wrong um i would i will have to say that i think there's another one that i will talk about later that will probably rival this one but man i just other than that depicting science as magic is just fascinating yes um and he does it later in interstellar but as as somebody who loves science i was just like uh internally screaming like yeah that's what should have happened right and and i'm glad you brought that up because yes this is a movie about two magicians but this is not something like the illusionist came out right about the same time Mm -hmm. and that movie is very much wants you to feel the magic the prestige is not interested in you feeling the magic the prestige gives you a small sense of magic but then wants you to feel the science and the the stage performance the sleight of hand yeah nolan's interested in in pulling back the curtain um he'll give you a little bit of that wonder but a lot of times he'll tell you that how the trick is going to happen before it actually happens most notably with the the bird in the cage that gets collapsed and also the uh the fake bullet in the gun Mm -hmm. Uh, those are the two most notable uh, ones that they tell you about before it's going to happen, but you get you kind of see all these things happening as they can. But I, uh, there's something really special about this last third of the movie. Uh, really, everything from David Bowie on there. There's warnings. There's omens. There's intrigue. There's all of a sudden the shoes flip, and Christian Bale is the one who's dumbfounded at how they're at how Hugh Jackman's pulling off the performance, and it's just yeah, that prison scene is just like. I saw that and I was like, wait, what? And well, and it also, I mean, it's hiding the trick in front of you in plain sight. And it's, it's paralleled very well when they talk about the, the old man with the goldfish and it just says his life is the act. And in order, and yeah. he has to, he has to pull off the rest of everything to make that work. And there's also makeup jobs. Does a great makeup does a great job because every single time these characters are makeup, they are so unrecognizable and it really just makes the movie work better. Yeah. And, I wonder, do you think Owen is actually his... Oh, nope, go ahead. Finish your thought. Uh, do you think Owen is actually his uh, brother, or do you think he's a clone? I think we're led to believe that that's his brother, because I don't believe Christian Bale has access to any sort of cloning technology. I think we're led to believe that they're twins, like identical twins, because there's also personality differences. Because, I mean, Hugh Jackman's clones 
in this universe are they're identical personality wise. Yeah, so I think we're led to believe that they're brothers, not cl- uh, twins, not clones. I just wanted to poke your brain about that. It was a theory I read. All right, well, hey, we're finally getting to it. The Dark Knight. Uh, Dark Knight is a 2008 movie streaming on Hulu. The plot synopsis of this is, When the menace known as the Joker wreaks havoc and chaos on the people of Gotham, Batman must accept one of the greatest psychological and physical tests of his ability to fight injustice. Uh, I'm going to say I also love this movie. So what do you feel about it, Austin? This is one of the best comic book films of all time, hands down. I, yeah, surprise, I, surprise. I was watching it yesterday, and the ending comes, and it, you know the music swells, and it's like Vigilant Protector, Dark Knight, boom, da na 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 na. Just the runs start happening, and I still get chills. Twelve years later, I don't know any other comic book movie that's done that for me. Even Endgame. Not even the original Raimi Spider-Man. None of it. I I think this was in my top ten comic book movies of all time. It's just... Yeah. And the cool thing about it is this movie's not just about Batman. It's right. about the the fight for the soul of Gotham, as Joker puts it. It's chaos, as you said earlier. It's just what happens when you show people who they really are. What happens? This is what happens. Yeah. So fantastic. I... <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, I uh, there's a lot of things that I really like about this movie. I think uh, I think Nolan does a really good job on building the university stuff in Batman Begins. I mean, we already talked about we did get a chance to talk about the cast in Batman Begins, but they're perfect. Even even mm-hmm. Katie Holmes feels really right in that role to me. But I'm not mad at all with having Maggie Gyllenhaal in that role for the second one. But no. Christian Bale, Heath Ledger, Gary Oldman, Michael Caine, Aaron Eckhart, Morgan Freeman, Maggie Gyllenhaal—they're all just just perfect. The the other the other thing that I think that is really interesting is this is still a Batman that's learning how to Batman. Like I, mm-hmm. I think that's something that we constantly forget about this movie is because it's the middle part of a trilogy, and so that should mean that this is Batman like at his peak, or this is Batman who has like got it all figured out and he's or at least has got the physical side of it out. But I mean that very very beginning fight where he has to fight the dogs. He's yeah, I need better armor. I need lighter. Like he's he's still figuring out. Who is Batman? Yeah. And it and it makes the Joker's paradox so much better because it takes place at this time. Because if Batman is still trying to figure out who Batman is, and is and Joker can push him to for some of those thoughts, then I mean that just makes it a much better uh, conflict. It makes it a much uh, a much better story. I there's also hints of Batman kind of doing some detective work, especially when they're figuring out before Harvey Dent is Two-Face and they're trying to figure out mm-hmm. how is the Joker going to strike next. But I mean, a lot of it is just really easy. Just technology gets them out of it. Like I, that's one thing I really hope that the Matt Reeves Batman does better is I want to see Batman actually be a detective like he is in the comics. It wants to be that here, but it's just not. Yeah. I would, I would definitely be interested to see how Matt Reeves does it. Yeah. I also, there's uh there's two things that I really noticed about this movie. Uh, one is that the Batman scenes play less like a horror movie than they did in Batman Begins. And to mm-hmm. me, that's a negative because I really liked that Christopher Nolan was doing something different there. I really liked that he was uh, exploring that and really kind of bringing the fear element out. I didn't feel that in the dark Knight at all. I mean, we felt the fear from, from the Joker, but I, I I'm a, I don't know. There's something different about the way that those are shot, and it just it, it it's definitely a con for me. 
the other thing is there is so much more action in this movie than there was in Batman Begins. There's not a mm-hmm. ton of action in Batman Begins, especially once Bruce Wayne gets back to Gotham, because there's a lot of action during the like League of Shadows type of stuff. But in a lot of a lot of him as Batman is doing the the interrogation work, and there's there's definitely more action in this movie. But it also makes me feel like the movie is way longer than two and a half hours, and it's just if I want to sit down and watch this movie for two hours for two and a half hours, like great. But this feels like a five hour movie to me. And really, it brought it really caught me off guard this last time watching it because we started watching it and Bruce Wayne comes back from Hong Kong, and it's like we're only like a half hour into this movie. I feel like we should be a lot farther into this movie. And then of course by the time it finally gets to Harvey Dent turning into Two Face, you know there's about like an hour left of the movie. But that feels like the movie's already been on for two and a half hours it's just it feels really long to me be- because there's so much that happens in this movie it, it borders from being too much to me but i think nolan still puts it in the right i'm not saying that as a con i'm just saying it feels longer yeah definitely um i'll say something about the fear um i do think anytime we see anything anybody with bruce or batman i, I got this sense of ex- existential dread um anytime somebody met him because it was just like oh they're next because there's a madman out there and he's willing to do anything to show gotham quote again who they really are yeah and that one i knew was always going to feel short shrifted the other thing is like what what else can we possibly say new about the dark knight there's been 12 years and people have been talking about it nonstop since so time to move on to inception Inception is a 2010 Christopher Nolan movie, also not streaming anywhere. And the plot synopsis for this is a thief who steals corporate secrets through the use of dream-sharing technology is given the inverse task of planting an idea into the mind of a CEO. Austin, do you like this movie? Love it, hate it, just dislike it, it's just okay. I love this movie. It is, okay. I think, one of Nolan's best well-shot films. When you see Ariadne messing around in Cobb's mind, just flipping the city, creating a bridge, shattering the mirror. It's just, it's fascinating. I don't think I've seen anything like it in Nolan's films since. Maybe in Tenet. I don't know. And I just, yeah, I, I, th- I think that's the big thing about this movie. It's just so creative in how right. it's shot. I do think you get a lot of that in Inception when they're visiting the the new planets. I, I agree with you. I love this movie. Um, to me, this is my second favorite movie of all time, just behind the Shawshank Redemption. Okay. And I, I have high praise for this movie, and um, a lot of it is because of that creativity. I think this is the most creative movie that I've seen in real, like set in reality, because. Yeah, there's so much that is going on, and there's so much that this could have just been a pretty basic movie, but they bring in so many different themes and concepts, and to have the layer of Cobb and Maul, and kind of how how Maul can attack him, and so Cobb needs to be weak for that reason, and Mm -hmm. also, like, the the big twist at the end, the one that always gets me about that Cobb actually did Inception with Maul, I don't know why I always forget that, I just do. Uh, Oh, yeah. It it just wrecks me. I keep forgetting that. It, it, it just, part of it is I only yeah. see this movie once every like three years, and so by the time it's time to watch it again, that I I just forget that. And that part it just wrecks me. But visually, it's so creative, and the 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 final act where uh, where they're the van it backs off of the bridge, and then you have Joseph Gordon Levitt in, in the rotating corridor, which is just super creative as well. 
and also trying to figure out how to produce a kick in zero gravity. Like it's just so creative the way that they show time. And my wife even pointed out, we were watching this the other night in, in the limbo after um, Ellen page and Leo go down there. You can even tell by the time they get to mall, her hair is completely dry and that could be considered a goof. But the way that my wife interpreted that is they're actually showing the passage of time since it's supposed to take like infinitely longer in limbo as it is in reality. Yeah. So by the time they actually get to her, it would be enough time for her hair and their clothes to completely dry since they showed up on the beach. And I could have been a goof or could have been some intentionality. Either way, I think it plays for continuity's sake. It's, I don't know. This movie is just so, so, so creative. Yeah. I, I, I didn't even think about that. And, you know, I think besides Memento, I think this is the best, or, or even Interstellar, I think this is the best usage of time yes. in an Nolan film because it's just saying, hey, this is five minutes and a dream is like an hour. And, or five minutes in the real world is... It's or an hour. It's, it's in yeah, level one, five minutes in a dream is an hour. So they have a week for level one and then six months mm-hmm. for level two and then ten years for level three and then they never actually say for Limbo, but holy God. Holy God. Yeah, that's got to be... Jeez. Well, I mean, Ken Watanabe is really old by the time they actually reach him. But uh, this was also exposure. my first exposure to Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Tom Hardy, as well as Marion Cotillard. And all three of them just blew me away. I just, for some reason, missed Tom Hardy to this point, although he wasn't super like A-list until this point. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt had been in a lot of things that just weren't up my alley. Uh, I've since seen things like 10, 10 Things I Hate About You and... I know he did a lot of TV, like Third Rock from the Sun, and he was in The Lookout, which I watched mm-hmm. because I love Inception so much. Uh, he was he was the standout the first time I watched this, but really all the actors are just incredible, and it's really it's really a testament to how good Leo is and how good Nolan is at writing characters. That Cobb is objectively a bad guy, and he makes some really bad choices, but we forgive him really easily, so much that we want to root for him. I mean, first of all, I mean you have the he planted Inception and got his wife killed in the end. Uh, but there's also, he, he seems to be reckless. He seems to not really let everybody know and everything. I mean, when they get down to that first level and he finally tells them the sedation is so strong that if you die, like if you die in here, you go to limbo instead of back in the real world. I mean, he's not a good character, but I still want him to get to his family at the end. Yeah. I mean, like, that's the main thing is like, yeah, he's done these terrible things, but he's still got kids. He's got a family to go back and see. And I think that's what, you know, sells it. Is that, hey, he may have done some bad things, but he's still got a good center to him. Right. Hey, I have two questions for you. One is, um, so all you have to do is die in limbo and then you go back to the real world? I don't know. I think that you would have to die in limbo. But I, there's also the... Right. And, and that seems really easy, but then they made it seem like limbo is something that you really couldn't like it was impossible to get out of when leo and his wife were there yeah i think they should have clearly it seems a little simplistic yeah they should have clearly defined the rules of the dream state a lot better because there are some things with the totems like sato touches his uh cop's totem but then jgl says oh hey nobody can know its weight right well that leads me to my other question which is we'll we'll do this super (sighs) quick what do you think about Cobb's totem? Do you think he's in reality at the end? I do not think he's in reality. Because I think, okay, he's, why? I think he's still in limbo, a, another part of limbo, maybe even further down. 
because we do see his kids in limbo at one point. That's true. And I think since it keeps spinning and keeps spinning and we never hear a wobble, that it, it it's just he is going to be forever in limbo until he finds a way to get out. Yeah, I think um, I, there's a popular fan theory out there about how the top is actually Maul's totem, not his. So that's not our oh, okay. guide. And there's a theory about his wedding ring, that he always has a wedding ring on in the dreams, but not in reality. And so at the end of the movie, he doesn't have a wedding ring on. Huh. But the wedding ring could also just simplify, uh, symbolize a, a presence of Maul, or it could symbolize just if he's not the architect of these dreams, he doesn't necessarily get to control his appearance. And so somebody that has known him might imagine him with a wedding ring on. Yeah. I I got this sense that uh, maybe at one point JGL was the um, architect. Okay. Um, And possibly um, when him and Tom Hardy, I, I apologize. I don't remember names that whenever he and Tom Hardy, just whenever they decide to split with him, um, I believe they, uh, that JGL was the interim architect, and that's why he, uh, Cobb, chose Ariadne to JGL uh, character to help him teach her how to architect a dream in a way that's very believable and that makes sense. And you even see one of his trademark tricks later on in the film. I just wanted to ask that because I think it's also fascinating that this movie came out 10 years ago and people are still talking about it. Mm-hmm. And there's been not much progress made. And I've heard seven or eight different theories that I think are all valid. Um, I choose to believe that he's in reality, but maybe that's just because I want him to be in reality. I I don't like I I think I could talk about that theory forever, man. I don't know. (laughs) But what I do know is that unfortunately we have to talk about the Dark Knight Rises. So dang it. (laughs) Dark Knight Rises, the 2012 movie streaming nowhere that I could find. Eight years after the Joker's reign of anarchy, Batman, with the help of the enigmatic Catwoman, is forced from his exile to save Gotham City from the brutal guerrilla terrorist Bane. All right, Austin, I get a feeling that you also don't like this movie. I'm in the I'm in the dislike category, pretty close to it's okay. Yeah, it. it I just there could have been a better movie, but I think unfortunately this film is hurt by the um, unfortunate passing of Heath Ledger. Uh, it's been yes. well documented that Joker was supposed to be in the third Batman film. And I, you can definitely tell because Bane and Talia al Ghul are not even remotely related to Bruce. But in Batman Begins, Scarecrow is very close. Like, he's one of the first guys Batman meets. And they all have a very close personal connection. But Bane and Talia, they've never seen this guy other than you know, hey, you're the guy who killed my father, so you have to die, or whatever. And, you know, Bane and Talia being lovers, I don't... I don't get it, man. I think Bane... Are, this, are we supposed to believe that they're lovers, or that they just have a deep childhood friendship? I took on that they're lovers, or okay. that they wanted to be lovers. Because, I mean, I just... I think Bane's here just to break Batman's back. That, that's the only reason I think he's here. He's well, and he—they're pretty clear about it at the end. He's there to to fulfill what Ra's al Ghul didn't do in, and it, I know it's Raish, but for the movie's sake, they call him Ra's. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Which also is frustrating. He's there to fulfill Ra's al Ghul's destiny of destroying Gotham that mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne stopped in Batman Begins because they have 
an affinity for who Roz was, obviously because Talia's the daughter. But but he, he's there to break Batman and then watch Bruce Wayne let his city be destroyed and him be powerless to stop it, which Theba Payne, I just, there's so much that frustrates me about this movie, but it, uh, even exterior about the movie, this is uh, more highly rated on IMDb than Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. And it's ranked the number seventy of all time, and that is way too high. This should not crack the top two hundred fifty. Yeah, um, not even. Yeah, I mean, it shouldn't crack the top thousand to me. But it's so noticeable the change in city from filming in Chicago to filming in Pittsburgh because they did the Dark Knight Batman Begins Chicago and they filmed Dark Knight mm-hmm. Rises in Pittsburgh. It feels inherently jarring, especially since I watched all three of them like a Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night type of deal. It felt really jarring. It did not feel like Gotham to me. And in the theater, I it felt jarring. I just didn't know why. But it really does. And a lot of that is because I grew up near Chicago. So like I recognize the landmarks that are, you know, when they're on Lower Wacker Street. Like I I I, I see that. I know that. I, I recognize. That. I understand that. And there's nothing res- recognizable in Dark Knight Rises to me. And, and also like the the streets are wider. Like mm-hmm. it's. It feels like Pittsburgh, not like Gotham, because the way Gotham was set up. And it's unfortunate because the city is a character in the Batman uh, mythology. It's just the city rises to meet, well, uh, I can't even believe I used the word rises here, but against Bane and all of his people, you know. But here it just feels like going. you're going from this opulent Chicago location to the slums of Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. You can also tell via the color temperature of the film. I mean, Dark Knight is very yeah. blue, and this is very orange. And I That's true. In the words of Chris Evans, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got to say one thing about this movie, though. Um, I really like the first half of this movie. Yeah. I, I think I really do. But as soon as Bane breaks Batman and then sends him over to the city and then blows up the, uh, the football stadium... Mm-hmm. And threatens a bomb. I, I'm I'm totally with the movie up until then. Yeah. I just I don't like anything after that. I don't like any of the movie, and specifically, I hate the last five minutes of this movie. <sighs> the one thing that I like of the last five minutes is Bruce's reveal to, to Gordon. Oh, I think that's very poetic. Makes me it's cry. really meaningful. Yeah, same. And I, I love the words that he says. But I just <sighs> I don't like the end. And I specifically so Talia, the reveal of Talia from Miranda Tate is just so unnecessary. And like Talia al Ghul is a warrior. Like give her a sword, make yeah. her actually Talia as opposed to somebody else. Also like Catwoman comes in and shoots Bane with the, the rockets on the, on the motorcycle. And like, I refuse to believe that Bane is dead. Like I, I choose to believe for this movie that Bane is still out there yeah. reckoning some terror because Gotham didn't blow up and nobody went to check on him to find a court. He just, I don't believe that Bane is dead from those rockets. I also hate, um, there's the timer, yeah, no but I'm going to finish this rant. Well, cause that's yeah. the finish your thought. Um, I, I don't like, um, the autopilot reveal. I think it's really, uh, I, I don't think it's placed right. I think, uh, I think it needed to be a little bit later. We, we're introduced to a world without Bruce Wayne and Batman, and we're looking to see how people heal. I mean, and the scene with Alfred oh, just makes yeah. me cry every time. Uh, but but we get like thirty seconds of Bruce Wayne being dead, and all of a sudden, once they say the autopilot's been fixed by Bruce Wayne, you're like, "Well, he's alive." And I really thought Christopher Nolan had the balls to kill Bruce Wayne. He just didn't, and I mean, he 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 did on paper, but yeah, as, 
soon as um, Alfred visits, what is it, Italy? Paris. As soon as that scene started, I'm like, okay, well, I guess we can't just revel in the fact that Batman can die. Right, right. I mean, make that a post-credit scene, maybe even. Like, let me believe that yeah. ba- that Bruce Wayne is dead for a while. Like, uh, and then the the reveal of Joseph Gordon-Levitt, his birth name is Robin. I think is one. I hate it. In theory, <laughs> like one, I hate it because of there's been other Batmans besides Bruce Wayne, and you know Robin becomes Nightwing, and it's. Just, uh, Robin's not even his. Robin's not even Robin's name. It's Dick Grayson. Like, I would have been much happier if they said it was Richard, and then you know you find out that his birth name was Dick Grayson. I would have been much happier with that. I mean, then you have to deal with the the acrobat part. Why wasn't that Jason Todd or um, Tim Drake? Like, make him make him Tim Drake, and everything about that frustrates me. And the way they choose to reveal it, I think, is just terrible. Yeah. I think the Robin thing is, I don't know if you're following the news at the time, but I think they really wanted to make a Batman movie in the DCEU with JGL as Robin. Because I think that was like a rumor I heard that it was going to be Batman 4 or whatever, Nightwing, whatever, um, and then Man of Steel. Yeah, especially since Nolan was producing Man of Steel and the right. DCEU. Um, I, I think, yes, that was the thought at the time. And frankly, I would like to see that. I mentioned Same. to to somebody not to, on, on this podcast that there was a really interesting fan theory that I liked uh, when Batman vs. Superman came out, which was that Ben Affleck was not playing Bruce Wayne, but he was playing Deathstroke, who was taken over for Batman while Bruce Wayne was in semi-retirement. Ooh. And Christian Bale came back at the end to take up the mantle again, so bringing the Dark Knight into... It would have been really interesting, and it was because they never called him Bruce Wayne in the the first teaser trailer, and Hmm. they very quickly shut down that rumor. But I thought, wow, they just if they pull that off, that's crazy. But yeah, I mean, and I would like to. I'm not opposed to Joseph Gordon-Levitt being Levitt being Batman. I think that would work really well. Just don't name him freaking Robin, like, (laughs) or at least Tim. And and the way they do the reveal is different. Yeah, make him Tim Drake, or I would love to see Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Jason Todd, but. Hmm. That'd Mostly be because too. I want to see him in the Red Hood storyline, but oh, that'd be so good! Time to stop talking about this this garbage movie. <laughs> All right, now I'm trying to move on to Interstellar. Interstellar is a 2014 movie. It's streaming on FX, so if you have Hulu, you can find it there. The plot synopsis: A team of explorers travels through a wormhole in space in an attempt to ensure humanity's survival. Uh, what do you think? Do you like this movie? Love it? Hate it? Dislike it? It's just okay. I love this movie. Oh my goodness. Again, with the science, this movie gave me chills when it started talking about rocketry, what you can, you can and cannot do in space. The actual first depiction of a wormhole in a piece of visual media was so fascinating. I think this movie is better than 2001 A Space Odyssey. There, I said it. I left the movie theater thinking, I liked it. I don't think it needed to be three hours. Every time I watch it, I'm like, I think this is a, a thrilling three hours. I love it. Mm-hmm. I don't like 2001 A Space Odyssey. I actually, I think I hate that movie. I like what it's going for. I just think I hate that movie. So I definitely am saying Inception or Interstellar is better than that. So I, I am in the loved it category. Very firm. Mm-hmm. This is a 10 out of 10 for me. And a, a big reason for that is, holy crap, Hans Zimmer killed it with the score. Oh, man. Yeah. And like, he always does, but... Hans Zimmer is one of my favorite composers out there, 
But the problem with him is a lot of his scores sound the same. You can hear hints of the thin red line. You can hear the thin red line practically ripped off in Inception. Yeah. Uh, And you can hear Pirates of the Caribbean in Gladiator. I mean, he just sometimes reduces, reuses, and recycles. And uh, Christopher Nolan, when, when when hiring him for Interstellar, says... Man, we got to do something different. We got to do something special with this movie. And holy crap, he did. Wasn't he on Justice League or was that Junkie XL? It was Junkie XL. It, uh, Hans Zimmer and Junkie XL were Batman v Superman. It was just Junkie XL okay. for Justice League. Although they just announced that there, it's going to be Junkie XL using Hans Zimmer's Man of Steel stuff for the Snyder Cut. Huh. That's going to be interesting so it doesn't sound like Hans Zimmer is going to have to do anything new but Junkie XL will use one of the other things I wanted to mention too this is the first time in it since uh the prestige that Christopher Nolan had worked without Wally Pfister mm. as his cinematographer and this is Nolan's best looking movie okay like visually I think I mean Inception is visually incredible as well but there's something special about and part of it is the wormhole Part of it yeah. is the creativity between the planets, the spaceship. This is a stunning-looking movie. I'm really happy I own the 4K of it. Me too. Uh, it's it's one of the top like five that I own. I mean, credit has to go to I'm, I don't I'm gonna butcher. It, I'm sorry, but Hoyt Van Hoytema, who is now Nolan's go-to guy, who did uh, the cinematography also for Dunkirk and Tenet. So he's gonna be. <laughs> He's going to be Nolan's guy. But I feel bad for Wally Pfister because he hasn't really done anything. Since, I mean, directed Transcendence, but Oof. he's not even... He definitely hasn't directed anything since then. He's done some smaller cinematography projects. But it's like... Man, the guy's still amazing. you got to point out the score is amazing and this looks amazing. Mm-hmm. But I think this is also a really different Nolan movie because he really uses emotion in this movie. He oh, hasn't man. used emotion anywhere near as much until this point. And casting McConaughey and Chastain are just perfect. Yeah, I don't think the adult versions of the kids work as well. Jessica Chastain works well, but Casey Affleck, I don't think works as well. I don't know that he was given too much to do. Yeah, like, I feel like if you add some stuff with him, I think I would actually tend to agree with you on the cast. It's phenomenal. Timothy Chalamet here, Mackenzie Foy as the little girl versions. And, you know, Mackenzie Foy... She's been in a lot of stuff since then, but she, her and McKenna Grace are like top two child actors, I think, right now. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of McKenna Grace. Um, this movie's fascinating. I love it so much. Yeah. I think I'm okay with it being three hours long now. I think initially I had a problem. I was like, it could be a little shorter, but I don't know what you would cut. Yeah, like this is the movie that got NASA and SpaceX to be like, hey, why don't we build rockets again? <laughs> so if yeah. any other achievement isn't granted granted that we got to get space travel now because interstellar right 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 well we have one more to talk about and that's dunkirk now dunkirk is also not available to stream anywhere that i could find it's a 2017 movie the plot is allied soldiers from belgium the british empire and france are surrounded by the german army and evacuating uh, evacuated during a fierce battle in World War Two, What are your thoughts on this movie, Austin? I don't like this movie at all. Oof. I think it's one of Nolan's worst films to date. I understand that he had a passion for this movie, and that is clear to see. And the cast is really stellar, but I just, I couldn't get into it. That constant ticking of the watch and the lack of a converging timeline until 10 or 15 minutes 
for the end of the film really did not sit well with me because I couldn't understand what was going on 90% of the time. And I've watched that thing four or five times since it's been out and even rewinding it at points and I just can't get into it. I I know people love this. I know um, Quentin Tarantino loves it and he thinks it's one of the best movies ever made. I disagree with you, Quentin. I just, that this movie, I can't get into it. <laughs> I, I think it's just too lenient on what Nolan has done before. I disagree with you. I, I love this movie. It's really good. I see your complaints and I understand. So I'm not trying to say you're wrong. No, I, I'm in the minority here. I I talk about it and people are like, what, you don't like Dunkirk? I'm like, no, <laughs> I've tried. I like it more each time I watch it. And part of it is because this is also one of the best 4Ks that I own. This movie is shot incredibly well, um, especially the transition between regular cameras and IMAX cameras. I, I also think that this is such an interesting movie for me to watch because of the lack of dialogue in most of the movie. Nolan and uh, his cinematographer have to get creative about the ways that they tell the story without using words. And it's, it's really fascinating to me, and it's really intense. And of course, Hans Zimmer coming through on the score again uh, to be just... Really brilliant, really stretched out, really thin, really minimalistic, but really powerful as well. The acting seems to be really terrific, especially given that there's not really any dialogue to work with. So, I know there's been some actors that have come out of this, uh, but I think Harry Styles is the best of the cast. Uh, yeah, I'm probably going to agree with you on that. He was a real surprise for how much I liked. Uh, I liked him, yeah. but yeah, I think the I think the converging timelines is also really interesting. Nolan just seems to really want to work with time, in, you know, with yeah. Inception and Dunkirk and soon to be Tenet. And so that just, man, that I'm here for any time that he wants to play with time. What happened to Christopher Nolan with time? Did somebody like reset a clock somewhere or like make the clock go backwards? And then he was like, this is going to haunt me for the rest of my life. So I'm going to make movies about it. I bet you what happened was he studied film. And realize that you can literally play with every aspect of film and not enough people play with time because you have to do it right. And he has a smart enough brain that he can do it right. Yeah. So I, I think he I just mean, asked himself, why aren't people playing with time more? Uh, as opposed to Back to the Future and Bill and Ted's Excellent, like time travel movies. Why aren't people playing with the concept of time as a theme and as a transition and as a key component for, for storytelling? Yeah, and I was really surprised to see that there's no uh, overcranking in Tenet. That I could see, and that's when, um, well, you've seen Mad Max Fury Road, yeah. Um, and in the beginning, it's double the frames in that movie, and uh, it's just something I thought Nolan would have used by now, but apparently not. Tell you what, if they released Tenet in 60 FPS, I would drive to Kansas City to see it in a heartbeat. Probably same here. I don't think I don't think the plan is, but it's very different than what Nolan had done up to this point. Mm -hmm. Um, it's very different than most movies I've seen. It's very different than any war movie I had ever seen. And I, I love, I love the playing with time. I love, the, I love this movie. And it's lower tier, Nolan for me. Okay. But to me, Nolan's top five movies are ten out of ten. So <laughs> this is like a, an eight or a nine out of ten for me. Uh, probably, probably like a nine, which is, which says something that I'm going lower tier, but nine out of ten, like lower, lower tier out of his filmography, mm -hmm. but still going probably like nine out of ten but i get your complaints and um it also makes a really good um double feature with darkest hour 
uh, if you just watch those back to back. I haven't seen The Darkest Hour yet, but I probably will at some point. I think it's streaming somewhere, but I might be mistaken. Every movie's always streaming somewhere. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll probably check out The Darkest Hour at some point. But all right, that's it. We did the Nolan movies. Uh, now what I want to do uh, is, would you rank these for us? Uh, start at the bottom and go to the top. Okay. So that's Dunkirk at the bottom. Insomnia uh, at number nine. Dark Knight Rises as eight. Prestige as seven. Six following. Batman Begins number five. Inception number four. Memento number three. Interstellar number two, and The Dark Knight is the best Nolan movie. Okay. Uh, my my thoughts are, um, I think The Dark Knight Rises is at the bottom, followed by uh, Following, <laughs> which, to me, Dark Knight Rises is like a five, but they obviously you jump up to me. Following is like a seven, Insomnia is also like a seven. But then we're jumping up to Dunkirk, which is number nine. So Dark Knight Rises, Following, Insomnia, Dunkirk, then Memento, and then to me, the rest of these are ten out of tens, but I'm going to go Prestige. Yeah. Uh, at number five, The Dark Knight at number four, Batman Begins at number three, Interstellar at number two, and Inception at number one. What I was hoping to do is by talking about these movies and by giving them a rank, I was hoping that we can agree on one ultimate Nolan movie, like a definitive, this is his best movie. And uh, man, we got we got quite a differing list. <laughs> so do you think we can come to an agreement on, on one that is like the definitive Christopher Nolan movie up to this point? I think my three options would be Memento, Following, and Interstellar. Okay. Well, I think we're going to come up with one because uh, if I had to pick three options, th there's really only three that I'm okay with. And that's The Prestige, Inception, which is my personal pick, or Interstellar. So I, I'm totally okay if we say that Interstellar is the pinnacle Nolan movie up to this point. Yeah, because I think that's where he really took everything he learned from an aspect of ta uh, time travel uh, sense and really just hammered that home. Yeah. Sometimes literally. Yeah. Yeah, and look, th this is just our list. Um, this is even just Austin and me. This is not necessarily speaking for the whole writer's room or, or Sif Pop in general. This is just our opinions. I know a lot of people would put Dark Knight up there. I know a lot of people would put Prestige up there. Like I said, I personally would probably put Inception. For the sake of this show, for the sake of this podcast, Interstellar is going to be our definitive Nolan movie. All right, to talk, time to talk a little bit less about Nolan. We're going to move forward to the B-plot. And um, Austin actually came up with our question for us this week. I tweaked it a little bit. But we were talking about all these movies that are getting pushed back during quarantine. We just asked, uh, what, what are the movies that you really hope don't get pushed back anymore? And, uh, and so I, I decided to stick with five. And I really hope to see these released by the end of 2020. Although, again, pandemic aside, I think movie theaters and studios need to do what's responsible and right. But... Um, the five that I really want to see by the end of this year is Tenet, of course. The No Time to Die, 007. Uh, and okay. Without Remorse, the new Tom Clancy, John Clark movie starring Michael B. Jordan. Interesting. And then I'm also going to go with The Trial of the Chicago 7. That's Sorkin's new movie, which just got pushed to Netflix. So I doubt that's going to be pushed back to next year. It's just going to be streaming on Netflix. And Bill and Ted Face the Music because Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure has a sweet spot in my heart. If you were to label five, which are the ones that you really want to make sure you see in 2020? Tenant, obviously. Then I'd go A Quiet Place Part 2. Okay. Uh, New Mutants, actually, would be my third one. I think Soul has some interesting things to offer. I know we haven't seen a lot of that, but I do think that action might be better than Inside Out to me um, because uh, it's exploring psychology, and that's my thing sure. in movies. And then I think No Time to Die and Free Guy would be uh, 
the final two. Yeah. If I counted right. Yeah. Look, um, if you if you ask me what's what's my second tier, yeah, uh, Soul and New Mutants and Free Guy, yeah, for sure. Because I think I I just think all five of those movies are going to be blockbusters in their own right because I think they're just going to be so inventive too. Because seeing A Quiet Place Part Two without Krasinski in front of the camera uh, is going to be kind of interesting since it's mostly been about him in the first movie and I think Free Guy actually might give Reynolds some opportunities to actually flex some of his um, writing muscles maybe he even does some improv in there I wonder if they gave him a writing credit though just because he does so much improv like I'm pretty sure they did that with the Deadpool movies possibly yeah so I wonder if he actually had a screenplay writing out of the movies we talked about uh, what do you think the logistics are that we'll see some of these movies I mean so Trial of Chicago 7 was moved to Netflix I'm pretty sure that that one is going to just stay there and so but I mean, what, do you think any of the other ones have a chance of going to VOD or going to a streaming service? I mean, I, th- I think there's a good chance that Disney just winds up dropping New Mutants on Hulu at this point, maybe even keeping their original date. Yeah, that's that's 100% what I'm thinking, too, because, I mean, there was a leak about a month or two months ago that there's supposed to be a VOD release. I think at this point, you just drop it on Hulu on a random Friday and say, hey, here you go. It's finally out. Do like a Cloverfield Paradox type of yeah, thing? Yeah, I mean, that would be the best way to do that, I think. Um, because, I mean, fans yeah. have been waiting so long, including me. I don't know anything about New Mutants. I'll say that up front. But I think this could be the opportunity for X-Men to really grow outside of just, you know, the X-Men. And I think people are ready to see that. Yeah, man, I'm stoked for this movie. But I, I think there's also a possibility that they wind up moving Bill and Ted face the music to VOD. Yeah. I don't, I don't know about streaming, but I think VOD is very possible. Yeah, I, um, I think it's small enough where you could just be like, hey, it's on. You could even put it on streaming. I've got a quick post-recording pre-edit note for you guys, and that is since we were talking about movies that are potentially going to come out in 2020 that we still really want to come out. That was recorded before. There was some announcements, so I want to give you a quick updates. So Bill and Ted has been announced as going to be released in theaters as well as VOD simultaneously, as well as A Quiet Place Part 2 has been pushed back to April next year. And lastly, that Tenet has been pulled from the release schedule entirely for the current state. So we're not sure what exactly that will look like. But I want to give you a quick note about some of the things that we were talking about Also, while we're on topic, I made a mention during Mulan last week, as well as the start of Tenet this this week, that we were going to continue to do coming attractions in a way that was just, if they're going to still come out relatively soon, we're still going to talk about them, and we are just going to change that, because there's plenty of stuff coming out on VOD, and the VOD stuff is not getting pushed back, so for the next while, you're probably not going to hear a lot of newer releases that are coming out. Um, I hope that we still get some big movies such as New Mutants, um, such as you know, Bill and Ted Face the Music, but for the most part, we're going to keep talking about things like The Rental, and next week we're talking about American Pickle coming on HBO, and um, Austin and I re-recorded to talk about She Dies Tomorrow, so uh, just want to give you a quick update on how that's going to look, but that's okay, because sometimes you know we hear about Mulan a lot, but we don't get a chance to hear about things like The Rental, so um, it should be a really exciting time. Uh, like I said, if you guys could just give a little bit of grace, give a little bit of slack and leniency, then we'll be golden. But um, just wanted to leave that quick editor's note in here for you guys. 
Well, uh, let's move on to the spinoff then. What's the one thing in pop culture that you want to tell everybody to watch or to avoid? I, I know that everyone's in a musical mu- mood uh, recently with the release of uh, Hamilton on uh, Disney Plus a few weeks back. I think uh, there's a great musical that came out this year called Valley Girl. It's a uh, movie starring Jessica Roth and Josh Whitehouse, and it's just set in the 80s. So, you, you know, you've got the I've got the beat. It's leg warmers. It's entirely set in the 80s. I think if you like musicals, you like 80s music, and you like Jessica Roth, I think you'll really, really, really love this. You had me at Jessica Roth. And it, uh, the rental price did drop from $20 to $6. Okay. Well, that is a, a perk. There's a good chance I'll check that out. I've got, I want to, before I do my recommend, I do want to follow up. I told you guys on the week that I had Dexter on that I started reading Without Remorse, the Tom Clancy's book. But I didn't want to recommend it because I was 50 pages in a 750 page book. Um, so who knows where that goes. I finally finished it last night. And I really liked the book, so I would highly recommend get your hands on that book and re- and read it before the movie comes out. Or if you watch the movie and like the movie, or don't like it, you know, check check out the book because I had a really good time with it. Just wanted to follow up with that. I'd finally finished without remorse, and I really enjoyed it. But I want to recommend a movie to you today, Austin. Do you watch a lot of foreign movies? Horror movies? Yes. Foreign. Foreign. Um, not really, but I will watch anything anyone recommends to me. Okay. I, I don't typically watch a lot of foreign movies as well, mostly because I just have enough on my list right now. It's like I might add it to a queue, but also like something has to be really special for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to recommend a foreign movie. I saw this in high school, uh, part of my film and literature class. I really like this movie. It's called Micmacs. Okay. M-I-C-M-A-C-S. The full, uh, it's a French movie. Okay. So the full French title is something that I'm not even going to try to pronounce because... It's French, mm-hmm. but essentially the the title translates literally to nonstop shenanigans. Okay. That should give you an idea of what's going on. So the story revolves around this guy whose name is Basil. Basil runs a, uh, is a cashier at a video rental shop in okay. France. And through a series of unfortunate events, gets shot in the head, but survives. And um, the doctor's... And his uh, his father was blown up by a landmine when he was a boy. Okay. So the doctors go to operate on his head, and um, they say, you know, we can risk, we can pull out the the bullet, but it'll probably turn him into a vegetable, or we can leave it in, and he he will just die at some moment. And but other than that, nothing is harmed. So they decide to leave the bullet in, and then he goes. He wants to take down the two empires: the one that created the bullets, and the one that created the landmine that killed his dad. And he does so by befriending a group of people that live in a junkyard and each of them having their special skills. It's a really ragtag team kind of movie, but it's funny because it is nonstop shenanigans. And uh, you can find it to rent on like Vudu or uh, iTunes or stuff like that. It's pretty easy to find. Okay. Um, I bought the Blu-ray off of Amazon, but I, I really like this movie. It's it's directed by um, Jean-Pierre Jeunet, okay. who did Amelie. Which I know is very popular foreign film. That's on my list. This is the movie he did. Uh, one of the movies he did after Amelie. Okay. I love Micmacs, and I think that and I think that you guys should give it a try. Okay. Well, I'll have to do a double feature with Amelie then, because I have not seen that. I've not seen Amelie, so I can't I can't recommend that. 
Cool. Well, hey, that's a wrap. Quick reminder that Sif Pop Writers Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at studiodna.media. And if you're interested in writing for SivPop.com or you want to get in contact with us, maybe send us a question to explore during the B-plot, you can email us at writersroom at SivPop.com. If you want to support the show, help out uh, with some costs that we pay for out of pocket, such as fees, equipment, and rental, then you can Venmo me. It's at Schweitcastle, S-C-H, White Castle, like the restaurant that Harold the Kumar go to. Uh, or email me or DM me on Twitter for my uh, PayPal address if PayPal is your preferred method of giving. Austin, it's been great having you on the show. I uh, really appreciate it getting a chance to talk to you and to meet you. Oh, thank you. Where, where can people uh, find you to, to, to chat with you about movies, to, to tell you why you're wrong about Dunkirk? Okay. Well, my Twitter is at AustinBTweets. And then my Instagram is at AustinBMedia. And if you want to read some of my work, uh, I have a site called austinb.media. You can also find me on moviehealthcommunity.tumblr.com, uh, where I uh, evaluate movies that might have some health risks to viewers. Or And uh, every Friday on BEC, sifpop.com. Uh, uh, awesome. You know, that's it for the show. Uh, there'll be another episode for you guys Wednesday. And until then, uh, it's back to the writers' room.